we're, of course, all very excited about the Feast of Tabernacles. It is upon us, and this is the Sabbath before the Feast of Tabernacles. And I know that we're all looking forward to rejoicing in the Feast. Uh, we're all excited about the Feast, and we should be. We should be excited uh, to participate in observing God's holy days. Uh, the Feast Days of the Lord are a time for rejoicing, and they're a time for, of course, learning and they're a time to learn to fear the Lord and to honor him and to learn to obey his law. But they are also a time to rejoice. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 23, please, as we begin the sermon. <clears throat> I'd like to turn to Leviticus 23 and verse 39. Leviticus 23, verse 39. We have a long passage about the Feast of Tabernacles, and I'll just uh, extract verse 39 from this passage to begin the sermon today. Leviticus 23, verse 39. Also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the Feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day there shall be a Sabbath rest, and on the eighth day a Sabbath rest. Here we have a very concise uh, command to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, which is seven days. And then, of course, you see the reference to the eighth day, which we typically call the last great day. <clears throat> we are to observe the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days, and then we are to observe the last great day or the eighth day. The Feast of Tabernacles is, of course, the sixth of God's annual festivals, and the last great day is the seventh. Keeping God's holy days is a blessing, isn't it? Observing the Feast of Tabernacles is something we look forward to throughout the year. You'll often hear people say that it's the highlight of their year, and that is appropriate. We rejoice in God's festivals. We should rejoice in God's law. We learn lessons when we rejoice. So are we approaching the feast in an attitude of anticipating a time of rejoicing. Are we approaching the Feast of Tabernacles expectantly, and are we looking forward to not only the spiritual fellowship, the spiritual food, the spiritual growth, but are we also looking forward to, frankly, some of the physical blessings that we'll be able to participate in by observing God's law? Today we're going to discuss some important principles regarding how we are to rejoice at the Feast of Tabernacles. What are we to learn from rejoicing at the Feast of Tabernacles? And we're also going to look at some prophecies, many prophecies, that will remind us and reveal and give us a little more insight uh, into why the Feast of Tabernacles is such a time for rejoicing what it pictures for the world, what it pictures for all of humanity in the future. The Feast of Tabernacles, like all of God's law, is a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a time to rejoice. And I know that we're excited about the Feast, but God gives us very specific principles which are lessons for us in how we are to observe the Feast, in what we are to do at the feast, 
and why we are to do those things at the feast. So today we're going to review how to observe the feast. I won't cover everything about how to observe it, but we're going to review uh, some principles regarding how to observe the feast and then extract some lessons from how we are instructed from Scripture in how to observe the feast and why we're instructed to rejoice, why we're instructed to come before God where he places his name. What, what are the lessons that God is teaching us from how we observe his law? You know, God is a teacher, and we are learning to be teachers in the kingdom. And so <clears throat> the way we observe the feast is in order for us to learn lessons regarding what the feast portends. First, I'd like to go through some key principles regarding how to observe the feast and how to rejoice in the feast. Let's turn to another familiar passage, Deuteronomy chapter 12. We're going to spend some time in Deuteronomy at the beginning of the sermon today, and we're going to review what is familiar to us, but I, I hope to draw our attention to some, some points that, again, I know you're familiar with, but I want us to meditate on these principles, think about why God gave us these instructions, what we are supposed to learn from these instructions. Brethren, we're going to be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles in just over a day. In just over a day, we're going to be at opening night services. This is the, the Sabbath immediately before the Feast of Tabernacles. <clears throat> and so as we make our last-minute preparations, we, we say our prayers tonight, we say our prayers in the morning, we pray maybe as we're driving or on airplanes on the way to the feast, uh, hopefully we have time to get on our knees and say a quick prayer uh, before we go to opening night services tomorrow evening. Let us remember the instructions that God gave us in how we are to observe the feast. We're going to go through some principles. Now, we do understand that some of the instructions in the Old Testament have been modified a little bit. We don't build booths today, right? We don't build booths. You, you can. There's nothing wrong with that. But the principle of staying in a temporary dwelling is now fulfilled by staying in a, in a rented apartment or rented home or a hotel. But the principle remains the same, doesn't it? So let's review some of these principles at the beginning of the sermon. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 17. Now this passage has to do with how we spend our second tithe at the feast and what we do at the feast. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 17. I'm going to bring out a number of points in this passage. Breaking into a thought, you shall not, you may not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil of the firstlings of your herd or your flock or any of your offerings which you vow of your freewill offerings or of the heave offerings of your hand. Verse 18. But here's where we are to take Enjoy of those offerings. Here, here's where we are to, to, uh, to take our tithe, our second tithe. You must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. One of the first points I want to bring out is that we are instructed to, to save our tithe. And we're instructed to do something with that tithe. We're instructed to take it to where God places his name. Now, we can spend some of our tithe, our second tithe, 
uh, at, on other holy days. Uh, we'll often spend some of our second tithe uh, at the spring holy days, a little bit of that to go have a nice meal or something. But the principle here is that we are to save our tithe, and this is speaking of second tithe, and take it to where God places his name. Now, why is that? What's the purpose behind that? Well, we'll, we'll see in just a moment. <clears throat> Verse 18, you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. You, your, your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, and the Levite who is within your gates. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all uh, to which you put your hands. A number of important principles here. Notice the sense of family. Notice the sense of family. You're to rejoice with your sons, with your daughters, with your servants, with your family. And that will come out in a number of other scriptures in the sermon today. God is building a family. And we are a family. You and I, we are family, spiritually. But if we have family in the, in the church, our, our sons and daughters, especially those that live uh, you know, under our roof, those which are still you know, in, our, in our home with us, we should be together at the feast. Another point, we are to learn to fear God by following his instruction in taking our tithe to where he places his name. We take it to where he places his name. We don't just spend it during the year or, or, or decide where we want to keep the feast. We, we go to where God places his name, and that's where we spend our second tithe. And you'll notice another point. The purpose, or one of the reasons, is so that we may rejoice. Verse 18, so that we may rejoice before the Lord. The feast is a time to rejoice. It is a time to enjoy the benefits of God's law. It is a time to, frankly, take a break from having to live, you know, in Satan's world. It's, it's an opportunity to, to be where God has placed his name, where he, he sanctifies that place, where we have sermons and sermonettes every day, spiritual conversations every day. And it's an opportunity for us to rejoice before the Lord. We're also, notice in verse 19 and 20, we're not to forsake the church, not to forsake the ministry. Verse 20, when the Lord your God enlarges your border, and I love, I love this passage, uh, when he enlarges your border as he has promised you, and you say, let me eat meat because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. Now, there are other scriptures which make it clear that God does not want us to be gluttons. Uh, God does not want us to... Uh, you know, to overly indulge, but we are to enjoy a nice meal at the feast. Now, these are very physical points, aren't they? But yet God put them in the Bible, didn't he? There they are. They're in the book of Deuteronomy. Your creator put these points here. For what purpose? Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 14, review another passage, and I'll begin to uh, answer those, that question. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. Again, what are some principles that we should remember as we go up to observe the feast? Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23. You shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses. There we see that point again, that, that we go where God places his name. Now, in the, uh, in the New Testament time, the church... 
the church picks the location or locations where we, we go to observe the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, we don't just choose ourselves, but the church selects the locations. There's, there's counsel that, that occurs. Dr. Meredith is very involved. Dr. Winnell is very involved. Uh, Mr. Jim Meredith goes around and tries to find uh, good locations where we can have affordable housing and pleasant weather and, and a nice facility. And there's counsel that's involved. And the church makes a decision to, to have a feast site in a certain location. And we are to go to where God places his name. Notice in verse 23, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, uh, of the firstlings of your herds, your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. One of the reasons that we go to where God places his name, one of the reasons that we save our tithe, our second tithe throughout the year, one of the reasons that we spend our second tithe at the feast, and I will cover some principles in how we can spend it and what we should do with it, but one of the reasons why we take our tithe to the feast, you know, a tithe, a tithe is 10% of your money, isn't it? 10% of your income. That, that's a large amount of money that we set aside. Why do we take that to the feast? Well, the answer is right there in verse 23, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. This is God's mind. These are God's instructions. The Feast of Tabernacles is not something that Mr. Herbert Armstrong invented. Ten percent of our tithe is not something that the church just randomly came up with. This is God's mind. God wants us to go to where he places his name. God wants us to take our second tithe and spend it primarily there. We do send in a tithe of the tithe, which is very appropriate to help defer uh, festival expenses. And again, we can spend some of our second tithe on other holy days. The church has made that administrative decision. Notice verse 24. I'll have to move quickly. Uh, if the journey is too long, you can convert some of your livestock into money. So all of you, it's okay to convert to convert some of your goats and sheep into money. Uh, today in a non-agricultural -agri environment or uh, economy, I'm sorry, uh, most of us don't have livestock to convert. So we, we take our money uh, with us to the feast. Verse 24, where God chooses to place his name. <clears throat> we can exchange it for money. Verse 25. Verse 26. And you shall spend that money on whatever your heart desires. Now, here God gives us some principles. Clearly, we don't spend the money on anything that is evil. Clearly, we don't spend the money on anything that is wrong, that is ungodly. But we are to spend the money on things that are pleasing, that are good, that are blessings for us, for our families, and for the congregation. Notice the physical again. It's very interesting, brethren. We're going to get to some prophecies. We're going to get to some, some, some perhaps deeper spiritual points in the sermon today. God put this in Deuteronomy for a reason. We are to take our tithe. We are to spend it on what our heart desires. For oxen, for sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, that you may eat there before the Lord your God and you shall what? Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 16. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 16. You know, Scripture says that by uh, two or three witnesses, something is established. And here we will have our third account, which basically says the same thing. Deuteronomy chapter 16. It must be very important if God put it in Scripture three times. 
And it's actually in Scripture many more than three times, but let's review Deuteronomy 16. And you've probably been reviewing these passages leading up to the feast. You probably can almost recite these passages, but let's go through Deuteronomy 16, beginning in verse 13. And again, draw out some of these principles. Principles in how to rejoice at the feast. Deuteronomy 16, verse 13. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your winepress. And you shall rejoice in your feast. Notice again, we are to rejoice. We are to enjoy the feast. We are to enjoy the feast. And brethren, we should make the feast a joy for those that we are around. And that does not always have to be monetarily. That can be done simply through being pleasant, simply through fellowshipping, simply through being kind. But if we have a little extra finances, then that would be appropriate as well, to, to give from our, our second tithe so that others can enjoy a little bit of the blessings that God has given us as well. You are to rejoice at the feast. Deuteronomy 16 Verse 13, for seven days. Uh, Verse 14, you will rejoice. You, your son, your daughter. There's that emphasis on family again. Your manservant, your maidservant, and the Levite, and the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, who are within your camp, within your gates, within your congregation. Every Feast of Tabernacles, we should make it a a goal of ours to serve and give to the fatherless, the widows, the strangers. We are to give of our blessings at the feast. Seven days you shall keep a sacred uh, feast to the Lord your God in the place where the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all of your produce and in all of the work of your hands, verse 15, so that you shall surely rejoice. We see here a number of principles. We see that we are to enjoy physical blessings at the feast. We are to rejoice for seven days. We are to give out of, of our blessings to the strangers, the fatherless, the widows. We are to go to where God places his name. We see in verse 15 that God will bless us in our efforts, in our work throughout the year so that we can enjoy the feast. Now, brethren, I know that not all of us are wealthy. I understand that. And if you are not well off, then the church can help you at the feast. And we as a congregation can give of, of our blessings to help you at the feast, to enjoy your feast. But whether you make $30,000 a year or 50000 or, you know, 100000 if you save your tithe, you have money to rejoice at the feast. And the church will also, again, uh, if we're doing our job as a congregation, uh, we will look out for those who are less well-off, the widows, the, the, the fatherless, the orphans. It is a time to rejoice. Why the emphasis on physical blessings? Why the emphasis on rejoicing? Why? It's not a bad thing. You know, just as trials are a tool to teach us, so are blessings. Just as trials are a tool, so are blessings. They help us learn. They help us learn that our eternal Father is great. That our eternal Father's laws 
work, that they are the way to happiness, that they are the way to eternal life, that they are the way to blessings forever. I want to inherit eternal life. And God tells us through Scripture that eternal life will be a joy. Eternal life will be full of joy. And the Feast of Tabernacles pictures in a small way God's everlasting kingdom. And God understands that we're human. And He understands that a nice filet mignon steak, we like that. You see, He gets that. You see, God created us, didn't He? Let's turn to Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Why the emphasis on physical blessings, on rejoicing at the Feast of Tabernacles? And as hopefully I will bring out in the remainder of the sermon, all of God's law, if we obey it, brings blessings. God's laws bring blessings. Psalm 104. Why the emphasis on the physical uh, rewards, the physical blessings at the feast? Now, we already covered principles, principles of charity, principles of giving, principles of not forgetting the widow, principles of not forgetting the fatherless. I was fatherless as a, as a young kid. And so I appreciated that when, uh, when people were kind to me and, and my mother and, and my, my younger siblings at the feast. Psalm 104. Why that emphasis? Again, I... These are God's words. We saw in Deuteronomy three passages where God makes that clear in how we're to enjoy and rejoice in the feast. Why? Psalm 104, verse 14. He, the Lord, causes the grass to grow for the cattle, the vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth. And for what purpose is that? Wine that makes glad the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine. Bread which strengthens man's heart. God understands that a nice meal pleases us, that it's enjoyable. It's a physical way to orient us toward our loving Father. It's a physical way to remind us that these blessings that we're enjoying at the feast come because of our obedience to God's perfect law. Just as fasting is, a, is a, an opportunity for us to learn humility, just as fasting is a way for us to draw closer to God, just as trials are an opportunity for us to draw closer to God, obeying God's law and reaping those blessings from obeying God's law are also an opportunity for us to draw closer to God as long as we remember where those blessings come from. They come from God. They come from obeying God's law. And that gets me to my first key principle I'd like to, 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 to review briefly, which is that obedience brings blessings. Obedience brings blessings. I asked earlier are we learning lessons from the holy days? Are we meditating on these principles as we approach the Feast of Tabernacles? <clears throat> Obeying God's law brings blessings. It brings happiness. But most importantly, obeying God's law helps us to become worthy to fulfill the great purpose that God has called us to fulfill. And we're going to discuss that purpose 
later in the sermon. Proverbs 29, verse 18, I won't turn there, but it says, Where there's no revelation, the people perish, but happy is he who keeps the law. What a wonderful God we have. Happy is he who keeps the law. I want to be happy. Don't you want to be happy? God wants us to enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles. He's put laws and principles in place so that we can Happy are we when we keep God's law. Let's turn to Romans chapter 7. Paul talks about this. Romans chapter 7. What a wonderful God we have. You know, there are these false gods that uh, other, that pagan uh, religions worship. And some of these false gods, they're, they're cruel. They're capricious. Uh, they withhold blessings. They withhold, uh, you know, good things, even when, even when their acolytes uh, obey them. That's not how your loving Father is. Romans chapter seven and verse twenty-two. <clears throat> Romans seven verse twenty-two. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I delight in the law of God. Dr. Meredith has given sermons and gone through Romans before. And I wrote in my you know, inspired margin of my Bible uh, that that's a reference to the Ten Commandments. We know it is. When we keep God's law, when we keep the Ten Commandments, when we keep God's holy days, um, we delight. We delight in those things. They bring us joy. Let's turn to James chapter 1. James 1. James 1 verse 23 is a familiar passage. I'd like to read uh, a couple verses after that that maybe we don't think of as often. James 1 verse 23. Begin in verse 22. James 1 verse 22. We are to be doers of the word. Now, one of the commands in God's word is to keep his holy days, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So we are going to do that, aren't we? And I know that some people are not able to go up to keep the feast because of legitimate reasons. They just don't, their health does not allow them. Uh, God understands that. But for those of us who can, we are to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We are to go up and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 23 And obviously this passage is not referring to just the Feast of Tabernacles. It's referring to all of God's word. But verse 23, if if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing himself in the mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, This one will be blessed in what he does. God's law brings blessings. The Feast of Tabernacles is a blessing. The Spring Holy Days are blessings. God's weekly Sabbath is a blessing. Not murdering is a blessing. Not committing adultery is a blessing. Not lying is a blessing. Honoring your father and mother is a blessing. Not coveting is a blessing. Seeking no other God is a blessing. 
And again, going up to observe the Feast of Tabernacles is a blessing. Be doers of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Now we know, of course, that the feast points to the millennium. And we know that we look forward to the fulfillment of what the Feast of Tabernacles pictures, which is God's reign through Christ on the earth for a thousand years. And hopefully we are there as first fruits. And that is an incredible, incredible thing to look forward to. And we're going to talk about that uh, in the rest of the sermon. But brethren, let us remember that we are to rejoice in the feast. And let us remember why we are to rejoice in the feast. Because just as trials are an opportunity for us to be taught, so are blessings. If we remember where those blessings come from, they come from obedience to God's law. They come from us learning to fear the Lord. Go where he placed his name. Save our second tithe. Use it for a nice meal. Use it to take care of the widow. Use it to take care of the fatherless. Use it to be generous amongst our our brothers and sisters. Those are blessings. And God gives us those blessings to orient us, orientate us toward him and towards his plan and toward what the Feast of Tabernacles pictures, which is the millennium. And that gets me to the next key principle that I would like to spend some time uh, discussing, which is that obedience to God's law yields eternal life. Obedience to God's law yields uh, eternal life. And observing the Feast of Tabernacles is one aspect of God's great and perfect law. And obedience to observing God's law yields eternal life. The title of the sermon, I know we're quite a bit into the sermon, but the title of the sermon today is Lessons in Rejoicing. Lessons in Rejoicing. We are instructed to rejoice at the feast And God wants us to learn lessons from rejoicing in the feast. And we've already covered some of the physical. But brethren, the physical is important. Again, God recorded through the Psalms. And I could have turned to many more Psalms where God says, essentially, and I'll summarize, I give you good things. I give you wine and food and meat and bread so that you can be happy, so that you can learn to fear me. So that you can know that I am the Lord, that I give you these blessings. There are lessons we are to learn through the process of rejoicing at the feast. We don't go to the feast and just spend our money and, 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 you know, we, and not think about God, not think about the purpose he's working out. We go to the feast, we listen to the sermons, we fellowship with our friends, we have our nice meals, we give to the, those who have less than us, and we remember that as we are doing these things, those blessings come from the eternal, and those blessings remind us that eternal life, eternal life is our goal. And the Feast of Tabernacles points toward the millennium and the beginning of hopefully eternal life for us. When we will rule <clears throat> under God, under Christ, for a thousand years, and then for the rest of eternity. Obedience brings eternal life. I'd like to go through a number of 
prophecies now that point us toward the future. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 2. These are millennial prophecies, and these are prophecies that are worth meditating on during the feast. These prophecies will be fulfilled in the millennium, a time when the whole earth will rejoice. And these are lessons for us as well. Just like the beginning of the sermon, we discussed some physical principles, some ways to observe the feast, which are lessons that orient us toward God. These are prophecies, and these will be fulfilled for all of the earth. And these are also lessons that help us to orient ourselves toward God and understand that we should rejoice in anticipation uh, when we think about what the feast pictures. Point number one. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. Christ will reign from Jerusalem and God's law will fill the earth. In the millennium, which the Feast of Tabernacles points toward, Christ will reign from Jerusalem and God's law will fill the entire earth. When we go to keep the feast, observe the Feast of Tabernacles, what should be first in our mind is that it points towards the rule of Christ under the Father, that He will reign, that His law will fill the entire earth. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, this prophecy will come to pass in the millennium. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. We know that that pictures or symbolizes God's government. It shall be exalted above the hills. Notice that all of the nations will flow to it. Not just Israel, but all of the nations will flow to Jerusalem, will be oriented toward Jerusalem. All of the earth will be oriented towards God, towards His law. Verse 3, many people should come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. You know, Today we're saying, let us go up to the feast. We're looking forward to the feast. I'm looking forward to rejoicing with my family. I'm looking forward to seeing friends. I know you are too. You're looking forward to being there for eight days, seven plus the eighth day, and being around God's people. We're looking forward to being with our family. We're looking forward to hearing the sermons, hearing God's law expounded upon. Let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. That's what it points toward. It points toward the millennium when all of the earth will be excited about God's law, will be excited about keeping God's feasts, all of them. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. This will be fulfilled in the years to come. With the way world events are progressing, you know, maybe not too long from now. Point number two, a natural result of point number one, a natural result of Christ's reign from Jerusalem is that the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth. The knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. I mean, verse 9. Isaiah 11, verse 9. When we go up to observe the Feast of Tabernacles, we are hopefully learning a little more, drawing a little closer to God, studying His law, and, and learning a little more. I'm always encouraged... When I talk to 
uh, people who have been in God's church for, for many years, 40, 50 years. And uh, it, it's exciting to me that many times they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still learning about God's way of life, about God's law. I'm learning nuances. And that's exciting to me. I, I still learn. I was born into the, the congregation, right? I was born into God's church. And I grew up in God's church. And as a kid, you don't, you know, you don't listen to every sermon as well as you should. But I'm, I'm learning. I'm still learning. The knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth. Isaiah 9, sorry, 11, verse 9. What an exciting time. What an exciting time when all of the earth will, will seek God's law, seek God's instruction, and will be excited about it and will learn God's way of life. Point number three. Point number three. What is the third uh, reality that will be fulfilled when the Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled in the millennium? Point number three. The righteous will no longer be oppressed. The righteous will no longer be oppressed. You know, I know that some of us, some of you, uh, have a hard time taking off for the feast. Your employer gives you a hard time, or your teachers uh, make it difficult for you. When I worked in the corporate world, uh, it was a great lesson for me. Uh, I was doing very well uh, as an executive, and we went to Hawaii. And uh, I remember the phone call from the, uh, the global VP, and I was the VP of North American Sales, and basically I remember the phone call. And essentially it said, get back here because there's a deal that's not going to happen. I didn't return home, and the deal didn't happen, and I was let go for keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. I was blessed tremendously uh, after that. It, it, it wasn't, it, there was never I, I, a, a question in my mind that I would leave God's Feast and go back home and work on this, this deal. I know many of you, many of us, have had trials because the world does not obey God's law. The righteous are oppressed. And that's not oppression. I mean, that that was a minor, minor thing. Uh, There are many of you who have had worse oppression and trials than that. But in the millennium, the righteous will no longer be oppressed. Isaiah 14, verse 3. Isaiah 14, verse 3. The Feast of Tabernacles points to a time when Christ will rule from Jerusalem, when the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth, and when the righteous will no longer be oppressed. Isaiah 14, verse 3. It shall come to pass in the day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve. And this is a prophecy that is speaking of the future when Israel will will go into captivity in the years to come. Verse 4, that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, how the oppressor has ceased. How how, how the king of Babylon's oppression has ceased. How that mighty city has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked. The Lord will break 
the staff, the rule of the wicked. And the Feast of Tabernacles points to a time when you will not be persecuted for keeping God's law. It points to a time when the whole earth will be oriented towards God, towards Christ. Now we know that God will withhold rain when some don't go up. And we know that there will, you know, Gog and Magog, and there will be still not 100% obedience to God's law uh, in the millennium. But it is a time when God's law, when the Holy Spirit, as we will see, will cover the earth. And when, for the most part, for the vast majority of people, they will go up to seek the Lord, and the righteous will no longer be oppressed. What a blessing! What a blessing! <clears throat> of course, that gets, leads to point number four, which is that we will rule under Christ for that thousand-year period. We will rule for a thousand years. Let's turn to Revelation 20, a familiar scripture. Revelation 20, verse 4. At the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, we often hear this scripture read. Revelation 20, verse 4. But this is point number four. This is lesson number four. We are to rejoice in observing the Feast of Tabernacles. We are to rejoice in God's law. God's law brings blessings. And one of the blessings that we look forward to is found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, 5, and 6. This is phenomenal. There is no other religion that understands or teaches anything like this. And only the church of God that has come down through the ages understands as Mr. Armstrong came to understand more fully as Mr. Ames writes about, as Dr. Meredith writes about, that our goal is to become brothers of Christ, to inherit eternal life in the God family. And that begins here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. I saw thrones and they sat on them. You, you know this passage. Judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast, who when they were oppressed, when they were persecuted, they said no. They said, I'm going to go up to keep the feast. I'm going to shut down my work on Friday afternoon and prepare for the weekly Sabbath. I'm going to keep God's law. I'm not going to compromise God's law. Some of those people will be beheaded. They did not receive the mark on their forehead, on their hands. They will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead do not live until the thousand years are finished. A reference to the eighth day, the last great day. Now, the remainder of verse 5, this is the first resurrection. Those who will reign for a thousand years, that is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Brethren, we hope to attain the first resurrection. We hope to attain immortality, eternal life, to reign under Christ when Christ reigns from Jerusalem. To be teachers of God's law 
when God's law covers the earth. To be those people who when, especially at the beginning of the millennium, there will still be you know, teaching and instruction and training. When somebody tries to go off in a wrong direction, we say, this is the way, walk you in it. No, no. When somebody is trying to break God's law, when somebody wants to oppress someone, we say, no, no, this is, God, this is God's law, this is the way. We want to be there. When we observe the Feast of Tabernacles this year, next year, the year after, one of the lessons we should take away, one of the reasons we should rejoice, we don't just rejoice in sitting down to a nice steak. We don't only rejoice in being able to have fellowship uh, with our brethren, but we should rejoice in the knowledge that we hopefully are one step closer to serving as God's first fruits, as kings and priests for a thousand years. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign for a thousand years. How will you reign? How will you reign during the Feast of Tabernacles? Now, that was not a slip of the tongue. How will you reign during the millennium? The Feast of Tabernacles pictures the millennium. How will you behave at the Feast of Tabernacles beginning a day from this evening? How will you behave? How will you reign? God is helping you to build the character today, this year, that he wants to see for a thousand years in the millennium. Will we be compassionate upon those who have less than us? Will we desire to go to Sabbath services or to services every day, to be taught, to worship God, to worship Christ? Will we desire to be taught from God's law? Will we desire that knowledge? How will we reign? How will we live during the Feast of Tabernacles, during the thousand years? What character are we building today? So point number four, or lesson number four, is that the righteous saints will reign for a thousand years. Point number five, there's something else that will happen during the millennium. And that is that God will restore Israel and bless all the nations that worship him. Let's turn to Amos chapter 9. A millennial scripture, Amos chapter 9. And this is something to meditate on at the feast. When we are enjoying those good sermonettes and good sermons and good fellowship, and when we're enjoying family day or when we're at the senior citizens luncheon, or we're enjoying our free time with our friends, and we're walking around and we're talking, we're enjoying the feast. This is another principle, another lesson that we should be thinking about. We know that America and modern Israel is heading toward hardship. We see it. But the millennium will be a time when God will restore Israel and when God will bless all nations that worship him. Amos chapter 9, verse 11. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. Before I continue, Israel and every nation that worships God, all people that seek the Lord will be blessed in the millennium. God will raise up David. He will be king over Israel. Jesus Christ will be king of kings and Lord of lords over all nations. And the days are coming when all people will be blessed. When the plowman will overtake the reaper. When the treader of grapes will overtake him who sows seed. When the mountains shall drip with new wine. And yes, when Israel will be brought back from their captivity. And they will not be made afraid anymore. A time is coming of such abundance that they will not be done harvesting. They will not be done you know, processing the wheat. They will not be done making the wine. They will not be done pressing the oil out of the olives. They will not be done collecting the fruit, collecting the vegetables. And yet, it will be time to sow again. It will be time to plant again. Why? Because God understands that people enjoy a good meal. Because God understands that people enjoy blessings. Because God's way works. Because when we obey God's law, he gives us blessings. Now we have tribulations. Through many tribulations do we enter the kingdom. But that does not nullify the fact that God gives us blessings when we keep his law. And in the millennium, God will bless all the earth as long as the earth keeps God's law. Now, if a nation doesn't obey, if a nation doesn't go up, they don't get rain. If a nation doesn't obey, then they're cursed. But if we orientate ourselves towards God and towards God's law, then God blesses us. So point number five is that all nations, Israel will be restored and all nations will be blessed. Which leads us to point number five, and I won't turn to the scripture for sake of time. But there will be abundance for all nations. Abundance for all nations. You know, I can't help myself. Let's turn to Micah chapter four. It's a beautiful passage, and I think I have the time. Micah chapter four. Another familiar millennial promise. Micah chapter four. I have a couple uh, scriptures here for this point, but I'll just give, give you one. Micah chapter 4, verse 3. So this is point number 6, that there will be abundance during the millennium. Do we notice a parallel? Do we have abundance at the Feast of Tabernacles today? Yes, we do. And even for those of us who have less, even for those of us, I was there when I was a kid. Now, we did not have much. You know, people tell their, their stories I don't usually tell mine, uh, and I won't. But we did not have much. Even we received blessings at the Feast of Tabernacles because God's people were practicing God's law. And so we got taken out to lunch, or we got this or that, and we had enjoyed the fellowship. God's way brings blessings. And there will be abundance in the millennium. Just like we partake of that in a small way at the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's a lesson we need to teach our kids. That's a lesson we need to talk to new people in the church about. Why are we going out for dinner? Why are we having this nice uh, bottle of wine and this nice steak? Because we can't afford this during the course of the year. Why are we doing this today? Because this points towards the blessings 
that God is going to pour out upon all of humanity for a thousand years in the future, as long as they obey God, as long as they seek God's law. Micah chapter 4, verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. So they will not learn the way of war anymore. Nation will not lift up sword against nation uh, anymore. They will not learn war anymore. There will be a time of peace. And verse 4, And everyone shall sit under his vine and his fig tree, and there will be peace, and no one will make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. For all people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. The millennium is a time of peace, of abundance, when we will have personal safety, when we will have our own you know, vine and fig tree, when there will be such abundance <clears throat> that the plowman will overtake the reaper. Dr. Meredith wrote a really uplifting uh, article a few years, a few years ago. Uh, its title is Real Abundant Life. <clears throat> and here's what he wrote about the millennium, about the millennial time. For a thousand years, there will be a depth of peace and joy permeating the earth beyond anything ever experienced. This will be based on God's spiritual law, the Ten Commandments. This great law, which tells us how to love God and how to love our neighbor, will be the foundational underpinning of the entire way of life at that time. All true Christians must, must learn to follow that way of life now, in this life. End of quote. Are we learning that way of life now in this life? We are. We learn that way of life 365 days a year. At least we should. We learn about that way of life every Sabbath. We learn about that way of life when we read the Living Church News articles. We learn about that way of life when we study God's law. When we come to church on the Sabbath. When we read the Tomorrow's World magazine. But brethren... What more appropriate time to learn about that way of life than the Feast of Tabernacles? The time that literally points toward the millennium. The time that symbolizes when these blessings will be poured out upon all of the earth. A time when the whole earth will learn to fear God, to love God, to keep His law. The Feast of Tabernacles is a time that we learn to fear the Lord. And fearing the Lord means a lot of things. Two things that it means, two of many, two things it means are to understand that His law is good and that His law works and that He is great and He is almighty. Now there are other applications, other uh, meanings for fearing the Lord, but the two I wanted to give are that His way works and that He's Almighty. His way works and He is Almighty. His law works, it produces blessings. When we go up to the feast, it works. It's good. It works. We enjoy it. And those blessings come from the Almighty God. They come from the Almighty God. 
He blesses our labor. We read that in Deuteronomy, didn't we? That when we take our tithe up, that he, it said, He blesses our labor. He blesses our increase. And God does not promise us, you know, Ferraris and, you know, Porsches and, you know, expensive cars today. But he does promise our, to fulfill our needs. He does promise us blessings in moderation, even in this life. God's way works. <clears throat> Continuing from Dr. Meredith's article, he wrote, As the millennium begins and modern Israel and Judah are brought back from slavery and begin to learn God's way, they will be blessed beyond measure. Coming out of the great tribulation, they will have an even greater sense of intense rejoicing and appreciation for God's way. Describing that time, our Creator tells us, and here he will quote Isaiah 61.7, Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of confusion, you, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be theirs. The end of the quote. Yes, indeed, there is a way we can have joy and abundant living if we are willing to listen. End of quote. What a shame that there aren't thousands of more who are willing to listen. What a shame. What a shame that we don't have to rent you know, the, the, uh, the sports arena in Charlotte for Sabbath services. What a shame. What a shame. Because people are missing out on blessings. People are missing out on God's law, and God's law brings blessings. But there's coming a time in the millennium when we'll have to rent out, you know, football stadiums and basketball stadiums and huge parks. And when you as a first fruit, will be teaching for a thousand years. And who knows where you'll be assigned? You know, maybe you'll just imagine a place, right? Pick a place on the earth. I was on Google Maps a few days ago, and I was looking at all these different obscure places. I was like, well, I'm just going to find obscure places, you know. And so I would go to obscure places, and I found these little islands that I'd never even heard of. And uh, I also I, I had heard of the, uh, the Channel Islands, of course, off California. But I was looking at all the little Channel Islands, and those are, there's a lot of history there, you know, and they're small islands. And I was reading about how the Spanish, uh, you know, had uh, ranches there and so forth and different things. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be kind of neat if maybe, you know, I was assigned at one point to go over there, uh, Mr. Soselka. You know, you're going you're gonna to lead, uh, you know, the, uh, the spring holy days over there this year. Now, sure, I'd like to dream big. You know, maybe I'll get more than a little island in the Channel Islands. But wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be great? When even off in the Channel Islands, you know, everybody's observing God's law. I should set my sights a little higher because uh, right now the United States Census reports only two permanent residents on uh, Santa Maria Island. So I probably need to, you know, set my expectations a little, little higher. They're both park rangers or something. So anyways, that's the trouble when you get off your notes. You, um, you, you, you know, you get off into these tangents. But we look forward to a time when everybody is going to want to learn God's way of life. And everybody will be blessed who is, a, who is learning God's way of life. Okay, point number seven. <clears throat> point number seven. There are a lot of people nowadays who are sick, who have diseases, who have various problems. 
Point number seven, in the millennium, sickness and disease will be cured. Sickness and disease will be cured. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35, verse 5. I know at the Feast of Tabernacles, there's always people there that, um, you know, that they're they're dealing with some health problem. And I've seen healings, and and it's been really uplifting when I I see them. Uh, You know, we wish that God would would heal everyone who who has uh, an infirmity today. Uh, But there are some of us who have sicknesses. In the millennium, there will be great healing. Great healing. Isaiah 35, verse 5. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The eyes of the deaf will, deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will sing. The waters will burst forth. There are many other scriptures I could turn to. You could jot down in your notes if you'd like another scripture. Uh, Jeremiah 30, verse 17. Jeremiah 30, verse 17. The Feast of Tabernacles points to a time, and this is point seven, when sickness and disease will be cured. Remember, the uh, title of the sermon today is Lessons in Rejoicing. Lessons in Rejoicing. God is a teacher, and he wants us to learn from the law. And part of the law is the Feast of Tabernacles. And so when we go up to rejoice and when we have joy, we need to learn from the feast. We need to learn lessons from the feast. And so point number seven is that sickness and disease will be cured. Point number eight. We're in Isaiah. Let's turn back a few chapters to chapter 30. Isaiah 30, verse 21. Point number eight, and I'm going to move quickly, is that the Holy Spirit will be made available to all. The Holy Spirit will be made available to all. Now, it does say that some will choose to, re, to reject God. Some will refuse. But it will be made freely available. Isaiah 30, verse 21. And this is the scripture that says, Your ears will hear a word behind uh, you saying, This is the way walk you in it. And this has to do more with teaching. Uh, but one of the principles is that we as God's teachers will be around and we will be teaching Let's turn to another scripture, Isaiah 32, verse 15. Isaiah 32, verse 15. Verse 12, 13, 14, talk about uh, the rebuilding. And verse 15 says, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, a time when the Holy Spirit will be poured out. I don't have time to turn to all of these scriptures. Let's turn to one more. Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 11, verse 19, the Holy Spirit will be made available in the millennium. Christ will rule and the Holy Spirit will be made available. Ezekiel 11, verse 19, Ezekiel 11, verse 19. Uh, This city shall not be your cauldron, nor shall you be the... uh, be the meat in the midst. I will judge you at the border of Israel. Verse 12. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Ezekiel 11, verse 19. I was in verse 11. Verse 19. Uh, Then I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them. 
and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. And they shall walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. There are other scriptures we could turn to. Hebrews chapter 8 talks about that. Uh, Revelation 20 talks about it. But the Holy Spirit will be made available. Point number nine. And I find this very encouraging. Very encouraging. The chief shepherd... Jesus Christ, in the millennium, will continue to do His work. The chief shepherd will continue to do His work. When we think about the Feast of Tabernacles, and let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 40. When we think about the Feast of Tabernacles, and we think about the millennium, and what the Feast of Tabernacles pictures, brethren, it should make us more enthusiastic, more eager to support the great commission of God's church. It should make us more zealous to support the preaching of the gospel. Because when we enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles, we are enjoying a foretaste of something that God wants to give to the whole world. And we should want more people to have the hope that we have. But what I find very encouraging, very humbling, very uplifting, Isaiah chapter 40, is that our work, the work of God, does not end with the famine of the word. It does not end with the two witnesses. It does not end with Christ's return. It continues. It continues. Christ's work continues. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 10. Our chief shepherd will continue the work during the millennium. Isaiah 40, verse 10. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, speaking of the second coming. His arm shall rule for him. His reward is with him. God will bring chastening to those who reject him. God will bring a reward and blessings for those who love him and keep his commandments. And notice verse 10. His work is before him. What is God's work? If we are kings and priests under God, under Christ, if we are kings and priests, shepherds under the great and chief shepherd for a thousand years, we'll be part of this work. We'll be part of this work. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you have had the privilege, and I have been able to many times, how many of you have been able to visit with someone at the feast, again, don't raise your hand, where it's their first feast, or maybe their second feast, and how many of you have had the opportunity to talk to them about God's law? To talk to them about the feast. To talk to them about the millennium, the hope for mankind. That, to me, is probably my best memories from the feast. That's the work. That's the work. Our chief shepherd will continue the work. His work will be before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom. 
and gently lead those who are with young. The work continues for a thousand years. I want to be part of that work. You know, let us go up to keep the feast because the feast is a joy and a blessing. Let us go up to keep the feast because we want to be firstborn, kings and priests. But let us go up to keep the feast because we believe in the work of God. And we love the work of God. And we want to continue in the work of God. Final point. This is just the beginning, brethren. The millennium is just the beginning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6. What is in store for us after the thousand years and the great white throne judgment period? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, that eye has not seen and ear has not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We don't know the awesomeness. We don't know what all God has in mind and store, but we know it will be great. We know it will be wonderful. We know that God's kingdom will continue and grow forever. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, a prophecy of Christ. Unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it, establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. The millennium, in a way, is the beginning. The feast points toward that time. A time of just unfathomable blessings. Physical blessings. Spiritual blessings. We, we can't understand how awesome it will be to have a spirit body, to be God, to be brothers of Christ. We, 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 we read the words. We, re, we read the words. We can't fully comprehend it. To work under Christ for a thousand years and then forever and ever after that, that is the good news. That is the gospel of the kingdom of God. When we learn these lessons from the feast, when we have dinner with our families and we enjoy that steak and we go to services every day, we don't skip services and we fellowship and we are generous and we practice charity and we give and we don't forget the fatherless and we don't forget the widow and we give respect to the ministry and we go where God places his name. We're doing things humanly that are teaching us to fear the Lord, to teach us those two great lessons, that number one, to fear the Lord is to understand that His law works, that His law brings blessings. And number two, that He is almighty and that He will perform His will. God will perform His will. God wants us at the Feast of Tabernacles. He wants us to enjoy the Feast of Tabernacles. But we must do our part. We must choose to follow and obey God. 
We must choose to learn these principles. We must choose to rejoice in his law. We must choose to learn from the trials and from the blessings. To learn that God is almighty. The reward is eternal life. Let's turn to Luke chapter 11. Jesus Christ (coughs) phrased it just wonderfully. Luke chapter 11. Obeying God's law brings blessings. Luke chapter 11, verse 27. So Jesus was teaching and he was speaking and a certain woman of the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. And Jesus answered and said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it and do it. Blessed are we when we do God's word. Blessed are we when we keep God's law. Luke chapter 12 and verse 32, 31. Luke 12 verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear. Luke 12 verse 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is not a metaphor. This is not the Roman Catholic Church that teaches that the church is the kingdom. It is our Father's good pleasure to give us eternal life in the kingdom, that we will be part of the God family, that we will participate in that work of our chief shepherd, that we will inherit those blessings. We know that those who reject God's law will not receive eternal life. We know that evildoers will not inherit God's kingdom. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 21, verse 7. This uh, scripture we sometimes go to uh, at, during the last great day. but It's appropriate for the sermon today. Revelation 21, verse 7. He who overcomes... When we go to the feast this year, we are overcomers. We are being overcomers. We're coming out of the world. We're choosing to obey God's law. We're choosing to fear the Lord. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And that's what we touched on in the sermon today. Just scratch the surface of what we can inherit. Eternal life. Reigning under Christ for a thousand years. Serving for a thousand years when there will be abundant physical blessings, when God's law will go out throughout the earth. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he will be my son. But, but, the cowardly, those who are fearful, those who, who stumble under persecution, those who, who turn away from God when they're persecuted, The unbelieving, those who hear the words and reject them. The abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, those who get into drugs and pornography and violence. Sorcerers, idolaters, liars, those who reject God's law. They have their part in the lake of fire. That is 
the second death. But the overcomers who learned the lessons, who learned the lessons of the Feast of Tabernacles will receive eternal life. Let's conclude with the words of Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 13. It is our Father's good pleasure, brethren, that we keep the Feast of Tabernacles this year, next year, the year after. It is our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. It is our Father's good pleasure that we are part of the work, that we are zealous to support the work. That is why the living church of God is so zealous about doing the work, about preaching the gospel, because we understand that amazing truth that the rest of the world doesn't. Mr. Ames wrote about it in a Tomorrow's World World article. I'll quote from it briefly. He wrote the following in his article, Your Glorious Destiny. One of the most amazing and encouraging truths from your Bible is that God is producing a family. God is the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. God wants each human being to voluntarily choose to become his son or daughter. God wants us to come out of the carnal, sinful ways of the world. God is creating a family. And when we choose to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, when we choose to keep God's law, when we choose to learn these lessons from these blessings, then we are making it one step closer to inheriting the kingdom of God, which the Feast of Tabernacles pictures. And so let's conclude with Matthew 13, verse 43. Let's keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's remember these lessons in rejoicing. And as Jesus Christ said in Matthew 13, verse 43, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let us learn the lessons from the Feast of Tabernacles. Let us learn lessons in rejoicing. Let us go up and keep the feast and let us rejoice in God's law.